Welcome to the Friends for Life podcast. My name is Lisa Anderson. And I'm Mackie Alston. And we are beloved friends and co-conspirators interviewing other friends and co-conspirators. Thanks for being with us as we explore the ways in which friendship helps us create a world of love and justice. Okay, so uh, welcome friends, welcome everyone. This is the third episode of our second season of Friends for Life. And today we are delighted, um, like extra, extra special delighted mm. to welcome Malachi Garza, one of our beloveds. I say extra, extra special delighted for everyone, but it's true every, <laughs> every week. I'm just letting you know it's true every week. I'll take it, I'll take it. <laughs> And so, you're special. <laughs> so, um, so Malachi is currently the organizing director of Solidaire, a community of donor organizers that works on the front lines of movements for racial, gender, and climate justice. Malachi also works in popular education and community organizing, including work that he has done on bridge building in religious communities and LGBT communities. And his portfolio is like 25 years old, even though Malachi is just a young man. And so I wanna welcome Malachi. I wanna welcome you into this conversation um, by starting off with a little story I know about you and about what inspired okay. us to wanna talk to you besides the fact that we love you we love you dearly. Um, do you remember a couple of years ago when um, I was in San Francisco, it was you, me, and it was Sharon Groves, our buddy mm -hmm. Sharon Groves. And you took us to oh, a yeah. bar in the Tenderloin. I don't even remember the name of the bar anymore. Uh -huh. It was a speakeasy. There was, there was really no name. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, and, yeah. and we had to, you know, you, you couldn't see anything from the outside and you had to get the key to get, you know, they had mm -hmm. to unlock the place to let us in. And then we were in this whole wonderful world. And what I loved about it, besides the fact that the cocktails were serious and insane, because <laughs> um, they were, was it told me everything that I sort of suspected about you from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, the cocktails, I remember you got one that was cereal based and yeah. you, had, you had to pick the Count Chocula or whatever from the, from the wall of favors on, on the, mm -hmm. in, in the bar and everything was custom made. So the bartender sort of asked a little bit about you and then created this beautiful thing that was a reflection of who you are. And then you brought us back into another part of the bar where there was serious community organizing and community give back work that was happening in this bar. And the thing I loved about the experience and what it told me about you was the heart for joy and playfulness and mm. lightness and love, and also the heart from the people because we learned real stuff about life in the tenderloin, about what was hard, and then also about what, what, where there was hope and where people were not laying down, but where mm -hmm. they were standing up for folk. And I just wanted to, I couldn't let this podcast go by without <laughs> saying that that kind of combination of I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna laugh mm -hmm. with you, I'm gonna tell you the history, and then I'm gonna get, and then we're all gonna get down to work together. That's why 
why I love you. And, oh, wow. Yeah. Beautiful. And so we got lots of questions, but we always start off with um, with what we think is, is the delight question, the joy question. So what flavor delights you? What flavor is delighting you right now, Malachi Garza? Oh, geez. Well, thank you for that lovely uh, introduction, that story. Um, that just fills me with so much joy. Um, and, you know, I would say this um, coffee with chicory in it right now is really doing it for me. This is from Cafe du Monde um, in uh, French Quarter in New Orleans. And uh, shout out to my family in New Orleans and Baton Rouge. And um, it, it not only reminds me a little bit of uh, family and home feeling, but um, of just, there is something so delicious about waking up to something warm mm. and, and delicious. So I'm over here trying to get it together, baby, on my second or third cup of coffee, trying to get right for y'all. Um, so I think this, this um, yeah, delicious deep dark espresso with, with something in it is really doing it for me. Mm, I love that. So Malachi, you know, uh, this work is hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the times are hard. And on this podcast, we focus on the need for us to befriend one another to make it through yeah. these kinds of times and also uh, this kind of work. So what does it mean for you in these times, both personally and relationally and socially and politically, to lean into a gift that you really do in a unique and um, super beautiful way. Uh, what does it mean to lean into the gift of levity, of, oh. of humor, of joy? Mm-hmm. Well, this is great questions. Um, such a great question and in a highly like politicized context. I um, just really enjoy y'all pulling this out. Um, I think for me, uh, what we know, what I know is true is, is a constant state of suffering. Mm-hmm. I know what it is to be um, constantly sad um, and to have a reality where, you know, uh, we were just discussing before we push play, you know, like our loved ones who are in decades long struggles with serious addiction, um, you know, where we have uh People don't have enough food. Uh, I am looking at moving from my hometown because we cannot breathe outside three to four months a year. Um, So, I mean, the conditions are so severe. And I think to me, there is this like beautiful, it's both a beautiful um, resistance in being able to smile and to laugh and to love. That is like the biggest F you to capitalism, to white supremacy, to homophobia, like these things want to ground us into dust and then sell that dust for some profit. And to be able to basically say, you know what? You can bleep, 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 my bleep, bleep, bleep. That fills me with joy. (laughs) There is something about telling people that want to kill us, like F you to your face. there's a strength in that. And there's also like, 
I think I love like unabashed um, hope and resiliency. Part of it is when I've been, I've been so low and, you know, a child who's like, I don't know where I'm going to go. Um, I don't have shit or anyone left that I feel like is taking care of me to all the way to the ridiculousness of being able to like pay off my bills and like have something like the, this life has been so wondrous and unexpected. There's something that I've hold on to in the audacity of um, the fact that we are still here and that one way or another, we're going to win. It probably not be in my lifetime, um, big W, but small W's, I'm going to take them along the way. And there's something that feels absolutely I'm trying to really check my ableist language these days. So I don't like, I want to say insane or crazy, but it's just like, um, there is, um, something in surrender where for me, when I really understand, like I, as a person cannot change all of these conditions, I can do my part. I can do a lot of freaking good, but overall I am not in control. There's like something to be about releasing control and releasing like the super tight. I think it's like the, the sort of Eurocentric, the like professional, the like academic, you know, everything, you can control everything. You have all the answers. I honestly believe none of us really know what the fuck we're doing or like what's going on. You know, like we're making it through the best we can. But to me, there's something in the surrender of like, I cannot control my loved ones addicted to crack. I cannot control the fact that like millions of people are starving or like the mines are exploding all over, you know, world and like the ecological disasters in that surrender to me is a deeply spiritual space and it's a deep space full of joy. And it almost feels like you're, I've gone and I'm in that real space. I feel like I've gone over the cliff of sanity into something else. That's like an ultimate spiritual surrender. That's like, I can do what I can do and, and be in right relationship and be a reflection of my God. And that is all I can do. And it's like unabashedly ridiculous to just like the, the, just the joy and the like release in that is so, it fills me with laughter and joy. Oh my God. Okay. So everything made sense and I'm uh, everything made sense. <laughs> you know, this film, this podcast considers friendship mm-hmm. as necessary and a saving grace mm-hmm. and a benefit and a strategy, but mostly just a flower of movement work mm-hmm. or spiritual commitments though sometimes it's got thorns. So uh, I wonder after that beautiful reflection on the audacity of joy and levity, how it relates to to friendship for you. Interesting. I definitely agree that um, friendship is... I think like friendship big F and and friendship little F and and by big F it's um, I'm not sure if it's like a trauma response or it's just like human nature, but I've been in so many political circles and experiments where basically people want to sound the smartest, have the right line, 
and like be on the woke island and it means that we're there with like seven to ten friends people think of mass in the united states a mass organization is 100 people <laughs> it's like internationally that they're like what is that like a family like what are you talking about um right and we have this propensity to um like i think want to protect our sense of safety and self and also like righteousness and like being correctness and all the things and there's so much like judgment there um and and also like rejection and and all the things and i i think that you actually have to open up to joy to have like the big f friendship where like you can actually have a big tent with thousands of people because you're gonna have people that disagree on a lot of things like we're on the same team even though you may um like not recycle the same or even like remember my right pronoun or um even agree on like i don't know we could go more serious like gun control or something right we have like lefties who are like bang bang and other lefties who are like peace in the streets no weapons ever um right and it's like we actually have all this like ex extreme difference, but we actually are on the same side and like on the freedom side and on the train of liberation. And I think if we can't center joy in how we understand each other as being really different, then we are totally fucked. Um, we need to be able to rock together as friends with people who are really different than us and um, be able to understand our commonality as a sense of joy and wonder and learning and special um, instead of like sort of rejection, you get kicked off the island. Um, our movement's gonna be like four people. Um, so there's that. And then in, in personal relationship, you know, I think about, I think probably my dearest friend in the world, Malkia Devich Cyril, and we've been friends. We were just talking, we met in an elevator I think when we were 19 years old in some political building in San Francisco and we were going down the elevator to, to both smoke a cigarette. And by the time we finished smoking a cigarette, um, we were like BFS. And they were like, we have to hang out, man. You're so funny and cool. And it has been, I've been reflecting on the journey of friendship with Mac because they are brilliant and we are aligned and we are so similar and our relationship has taken work over the years and um ability to see each other's faults and where we are hard to be friends with and where we are like easy and stay in together and readjust our expectations and as we grow um what role we fill in each other's lives like all of it has had to keep being malleable but the joy in staying in together is so intensely overwhelmingly amazing and the um the lightness that i get from them and the the hearing their laughter is like this squealy i can't breathe when they really really think something's funny it's like a and to me it's like a it's like a sound of heaven it's like it's just one of my favorite things in the whole world um and i i think that i've been reflecting a lot on what friendships i want to spend the most time with or prioritize i think when we get 40 plus i'd be like okay, I'm tired. Okay. I don't have, I can't do three hangouts in a night. I'm not going to stay up till three. Um, I've got, you know, I want, I am more focused on what I want to spend my time on in the work and in my life and in my relationships. And, um, 
I think about the friendships that feed me back as well as I feed them or I feed it and the joy that Mac reflects back to me and their laughter and the way we can laugh together and the lightness and the ease there um, is, is really part of what makes me feel not alone in this world. And it's just, um, it sustains me in, in doing this work and the political work that we can do together because of all of that is quite amazing. I love, um, we actually were going to ask you in a little bit about who you laugh with and you already kind of gave us, you know, an insight Oh, Malkia, they mm -hmm. are amazing. I yeah. heard them, um, I got the plit, the pleasure of being on a panel with them once and I, I have not ever told them this but I forgot everything that I had written down to say because <laughs> when they started reflecting oh, yeah, totally. all I, I wanted to do was be in their their thought universe and it's like wherever yep. you want the conversation to go that is where it will go um yeah but I love the description of who you will laugh with and the the thing I also heard inside of that, the commitment that your befriending requires mm -hmm. and the acknowledgement of our vulnerability as humans, the fact mm -hmm. that we have to make the commitments yeah, um, and mm -hmm. that we are vulnerable and that we will stick together through the work of it. Because the, I think inside the work is where you see, oh, that's their breaking point or that's my breaking mm -hmm. point or that's my sore space or whatever it is. And how do we how are we going to navigate this movement mm -hmm. through? Mm -hmm. um, can you can you say a little bit about like when you've chosen that navigation, because we, I think inside we choose it. And then sometimes we choose to say, no, like this friendship ends. Like what's the difference mm -hmm. between the endings and the folks that we decide, you know, I was, the, I, the commitment was for a season and now this is a new mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oof, these are great questions. Um, I think two things come to mind, and one is um, I have started to have, I think, better boundaries. I'm like, I never had a boundary before. I think I'm starting to learn them. Um, and I am starting to pay attention to um, folks who I like maybe I'm pouring into, um, and I just feel like there's not as much coming back and there's just not a lot of um, presence. And, you know, I've got friends of all kinds of different stripes. And I think that um, sometimes I've understood like, oh, your relationship to maybe this substance is like your primary love. And like um, the way in which the a filter in which you come toward me through, I understand that that works for you, but I'm looking for something different. Um, I'm I I need something more than that or different than that. And I think I have started to just as an example. I think I've started to um, understand that it's okay to say no to like 
hanging out with people or to sticking in. And that if I'm not necessarily like getting a lot out of it, it's really okay for me to kind of sunset it. And it doesn't mean I have to grenade the thing or like blow it up. But um, I have started using my no a lot more. Um, and I think when something is draining, my flags are um, hearing from someone and getting the feeling that I'm never enough for them. They have an insatiability to be held or satiated or listened to or whatever it is and realizing like, oh, I, I'm an oversharer. I'm an overshore upper. I'm like an overgiver. And I think I um, have realized with some folks, I have a giant red flag, but it's like, oh, I'm never enough for you. I'm never a kind of friend. I'm never showing up enough. I'm never. And then I'm like, wait a minute, boo. I went and bought your groceries. And then I like braided your mom's hair. And then I like washed your fucking feet. So like, what are we talking about? So I think like starting for myself to define what do I feel like is enough? What do I feel like is like showing up in a good and righteous way? And when people need more, just say, okay, I can't, I can't do that but like, I hope you can get that, you know, and starting to, so that's a big, that's a red flag for me. And then, um, you know, sometimes people think maybe this happens to y'all because you're a political person you've been the movement a long time. You can just like do anything or fix anything. So they're like, I have the, I just know what needs to happen for like racial justice to happen. And then like, why won't just like people do it? So just like <laughs> get me money or like help me make a nonprofit or just like help me do this thing. And you're like, yo, like this is a very, um, this is kind of like a nascent point, or this is like a, like this, this is not even what you're saying. It's not even equal what you think it does, you know, like I can't be, I can't do that for you. And I think sometimes people want, um, want others to implement their vision or their dreams for them. Um, mm -hmm. and it's been a le big learning lesson for me of like, people are responsible for their own happiness and their own dreams. And as a friend, you can flank them and you can support them. You can't do it for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've been really watching, like giving too much away of myself, mm -hmm. um, and, and holding and like, oh, I have an evening just to like read or like do nothing. Like this is it feels like bourgeois, like decadence, you know? And I'm like, wow, I could just, I could just do that. Um, and so I think those are some flags that come to mind. And then when you know that it's in, when you're in, you know, it reminds me of um, the, the love of my life. I just love her to death, Alicia Garza. Many of you guys know her. And we always had a commitment to build a friendship and a love and an intimacy primary like period and the vehicle of that the formation of that would could shift and and could morph but that if we're doing this love thing right and this joy thing right that we'll be able to stay in beautiful relationship and that intimacy is what's actually the goal mm -hmm. and i think um having us transition from a marriage i mean to be like very heteronormative um like a partnership of of that kind and um, treat each other so well within it and nobody like created a bunch of pain to make a painful decision. 
and to understand like we're better in right relationship in a different type of formation. It allows us to love more. It oxygenates our life in a way we want and need. It allows our love to grow of self more. To watch her treat me so well in that process, to watch the kindness and the compassion and the way that we sat with a, you know, uh, with our decision. I didn't even tell anyone for like months. And just how does this feel? What do we need in this? Um, before even turning it out to the public for the, the vultures of the public mm -hmm. um, often, you know? And when someone is willing to sit through a painful situation with you that maybe isn't even external, so just like holding me when my grandma died, but it's like this thing between us is hard. Uh, and when that when someone treats you so well within that, then for me, it's like green light, baby. Oh, we're going to be in this for a lifetime. Um, and so, you know, I think about Alicia when I think about so clearly understanding something's worth it and staying in because you treat each other so well and with so much care and you treat your intimacy like it is a million billion dollars and it's everything. And you still can sit in hard stuff and figure that out. You know, you still sit in sadness or anger. Um, that to me is just the, the most beautiful example I can think of in that way. <laughs> I have things. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I, I want to respect the fact that my tendency in these conversations is to leap right in. And Mackie's is to, is to ruminate. So many things came up when we were talking. <laughs> I had two, and please choose from the two. One was I wanted to know who has who have been your teachers. And the other was, you've hinted at it, what is befriending yourself look like, or has it looked like? And I have to say, I follow you on all the platforms that you're on, but especially IG. And so I watch you with your puppy. Yeah. And watching you two together um, makes me feel like that's Malachi loving this creature, but mm -hmm. this is Malachi loving Malachi. So, yeah. Like, who are your teachers and, and how do you befriend you? Mm. Interesting. Um, you know, my teachers, um, someone that's coming to mind actually is, um, I call her the big boss, but she's my boss at Solidaire, uh, Vinny Bansali. And one thing that I, I mean, I love so many things about her. I don't know if you've ever had a boss that works harder than you, but I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, and she is like super smart, super hardworking super like principled, but also super full of like lightness and joy. And she's like, here's a key to my house. Like come over and use my hot tub anytime. Like I had a date like early on a couple months ago and, and I was like, I don't know how to do this dating thing. I've been married for 17 years or something. And um, I was like, she's like, come over and like use my hot tub and like I'll put some cigars by the hot tub for you. And I was just like, wow, you are so seriously badass and you so can like 
command the attention of people who are moving millions and like garner that respect and they know that they can invest it with you and you will do right by it and, and like so just have that level of like um fortitude and like you know that th that thing um and then also so understanding and prioritizing of people's joy and their actual lives and their wellness that like the way that she runs staff is like people first relationships first the work will get done and to hold you know a political head and so to hold like the amount of rigor and get stuff doneness and hardcore organizing as well as like super gay fantabulous ride of unicorn ponies in the hot tub smoking a cigarness i'm like Yes, this is the promised land of my like, organizational life. Um, and so I just feel like she has taught me a lot about, um, you know, sometimes I feel because I'm pretty counter hegemonic or like I'm not the one who's going to, I like making jokes in the meeting and I like swearing in the meeting and I like people breastfeeding on camera and I like it when you eat on camera and like, that realness and authenticity, I think, as an organizer is like, to me, it's it's magical sauce. And that you can still command uh, the respect of people who are super square bears and who are like holding and leveraging millions um, and very uptight, button tight, old guard, traditional um, in, in that way. I think um, she's taught me a lot about being in a forward stance with your joy and um, your taking care of people first does not even undercut you to reach that level of bossy. And as a January Capricorn, I aspire to that level of bossery, um, but I also am like a flaming homosexual and like want to do the things that are sparkly and bring joy to my life. And I want it all, I want it all, you know, and she shows me you can. It's amazing there. And I, and I think, um, should I just pick one or should I go to befriending? Well, if you have another that feels burning, you, we got, we got some time. Hmm. You know, it's, it's the one thing I will say about the befriending thing is I think, I think being someone who really loves joy and loves connection, I find so much salve in those. I have had to, to break through some of my growing edges, allow myself to be sad and to be lonely in a way that I have had a real aversion to. Um, my good friends know that like, maybe throughout my 20s and 30s, I would schedule two to three hangouts every day. I would have to often have overlapping hangouts my part of my growing edge would be like not showing up on time ever for my friends because I'm coming across town because I was just with another friend and, you know, like just packing my social calendar so hard. Um, and I think part of that is like running away from the things that are kind of sad um, and from those feelings. And I think as I'm thinking about moving from my hometown uh, right now, I'm in North Carolina um, talking to y'all and I'm with my family and we're looking at, houses out here and I had the other maybe it's yesterday it was just like oh my god I feel all of these feelings of loneliness and sadness and fear and 
I feel like to feel them is like maturing me in a strange way. And I, I feel like it's me showing up for myself to be like, you're still going to be okay. You're not going to be an abandoned child in it. You're not going to be destitute. You're not going to live with milk cartons are not going to be your chair and your table and the floor is not going to be your bed. Like whatever happens and your friends are here and in this weird COVID world, our beloveds are scattered all over and I'm not going to be alone and I'm not going to be abandoned. And I feel like I'm starting to befriend myself more and more in, in actually allowing myself to feel that stuff. Um, it's a weird answer, but it feels so important to me right now. It's funny. The question that surfaced for me when you were talking about boundaries made me want to ask you, has there ever been a time when you've been so down, when you've been so in need that you couldn't get to joy? That it's Because mm. when you were telling the story of the friends who are insatiable, I know that insatiability, mm-hmm. right? And I have a heart for those for the moments in life like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I knew, I know that when you were a kid, you were living on the street and yet you've got this faith mm-hmm. in what's possible. You say, we're going to win. You know, we're going to win. Maybe not in my lifetime and access to joy. So I guess my question is, was there ever a time when you just didn't have that access? Was that something that, that grew in you. And so when Lisa asked questions about teachers and befriending self, they resonated with me because I wanted to know a little bit about your journey. Mm -hmm. (sighs) You know, I think that um, what I feel really lucky about um, or blessed by is that even when I've been so down, I've had someone who's been there, even if it was like, I remember being that homeless kid and my punk rock friend, Stan. And Stan was an asshole. Stan was brown, but lightweight racist. Stan was self-hating. Stan was a cutter. Stan was like, he used to think so many pills. I'd be like, dude, you're gonna overdose. And he's like, it's fine. I take like 17 and leave every day. Like he does was really wild. He lived, he had a room. It was like mean to his mom, which I hated. And he had like a room that was like full of trash. And I just, um, but even having like mean punk rock stand there um, as like a one friend who was like, happened to be staying also sort of on this rooftop. Like, I think for me, um, I think maybe it's one reason I never left my hometown um, is like, if I feel like there's just one person that I'm in connection with, then I'm not all the way alone. And even if they're like, honestly, even if they're harming me, I will stay. And it's like, not a good thing always, but I will fucking stay and I will take it because I like need that lifeline so bad. And so for me, I think if I'm, if there's anyone who even is like sharing a destitute rooftop with me and is totally an asshole, there's something that's like, um, an energetic lifeline to the creation source that I feel like is still there and I can still see and that there's possibility there and I'm not totally cut off. And so I think, um, 
I have not maybe reached a place where I have had no joy or not that lifeline because I have chosen to stay what I felt connected to it, even if I was being abused to have it. That's fucked up. I'm saying, oh my God, this is like the real podcast. Okay. Right, shit. Everything. <laughs> so this morning, before I came to work, I was listening to Patrice Cullors talk mm. about her new book, The Abolitionist mm. Handbook. And when you were talking about staying because of the lifeline, it made me, th- even if the situation has abuse in it, it made me think, what's the healing work that we have to do that doesn't cut that lifeline? You know, that actually mm-hmm. acknowledges that there's life there. It seems to go back to what you said about being on the woke island. Mm-hmm that how do we build us a way where there's safe enough, there's safety for Malachi, there's the lifeline, um, Mm -hmm. that the lifeline stays there and you don't push, I forget his name now, but you don't push Stan off the side of the building because that's the only way that you can make a way Mm-hmm. for Malachi or for me or for Mackie or for anyone because you deny the lifeline and the way that we get it in a punishment and you know society mm-hmm. is you cut it off you break it you kill it you destroy it and it feels yeah. like you're saying no there's something your mm-hmm. your vulnerability said no but wait if you kill that it's not like that is a thing that's there's life there it just felt, that's what I felt when you said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I think there's, um, it's it's like this question to me of what makes us safe. Um, And sometimes all the pain and suffering of this world, it's, you know, it's like, cut everything off and hunker down and build the biggest walls as possible and have all the guns ever. And, you know, it's like, that's what makes you safe. And there's a counter truth that actually says safe is community, safe is connection, safe is opening up um, and is allowing more in. And I think that we're, as our society is faced with these choices more and more these days. And I think you're right in in an idea around abolition. It's like when there is harm or when there is abuse or things that are wrong, um, how do we seek accountability um, and restoration without um, destroying someone and without um, getting like absolutism um, with, you know, without uh, sometimes you need to you know, there's like, remove the situation, remove the person, like, I'm not saying that, but there, I do believe that um, if we think everyone is, if we believe everyone is sacred, then there is, there is sanctity, even in the most vicious of situations. And we could figure out how to keep people safe in that and how to have all those things. But um, we are real quick to drop the ax and to 
boot someone in, in a million ways than one. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling your, I'm feeling you're feeling me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yes. And you know, when, when you're, when you're saying that, like, there's that part of me that's like, absolutely life, all of us are sacred. Um, and it's hard to imagine how we actually, he how we make the healing spaces, but I'm like foolish enough to believe that we have to, that the hunkering down is not going to get it. And yeah, yeah it's just not going to get it. Oof. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, there's something about practicing heaven on earth mm. that's surfacing for me in this conversation from the beginning of the story about the bar. I want to go to that speakeasy yeah. and, and cereal cocktails and the organizing room in the back or the promised land of your organizational life with your teacher friend with the hot tub and the cigars mm. and beautiful bossery. What I've loved about this conversation is there's there are tensions, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't be friends with everybody. Yeah. And some people want to be friends with you in ways that that they just don't they they they're they don't work for you. Mm -hmm. Uh and so there is some separation or distance. And then at the same time, we hold your uh uncut cord with Stan mm -hmm. and you know look if this were simple math then we wouldn't be chewing on it and chewing on it and chewing on it. but there is some kind of heaven mm -hmm. there is some kind of heaven logic and I gotta mm -hmm. say when I talk to you I hear this language, this faithy language. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh yeah, he was evangelical. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, he's got that before it all. That's where it all started. And I like the unapologetic way in which you 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 take that. Mm -hmm. That's actually you possess that. Yeah. Uh and it is also sustaining not only for you, but for all you inspire. Mm. And so I just want to celebrate you in this moment, your beauty, the friendship you give, even just through this conversation, as you said, to the thousands, mm. uh, but also in the moment, because, you know, we talk about friends for life, but that doesn't have to mean until you die. Mm. It can mean for the life of this moment right oh, here, interesting. right now. That generosity doesn't mm. have to come with, uh, you know, beautiful monogamy or like yeah. permanence or it. It's that great. It's that uh, spacious and it's that abundant. All right, so we got one more question. Okay, I'm gonna take oh, our I'm picture. Oh, you're gonna take a picture. <laughs> taking a picture of us taking a picture. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, we start with joy, we end with joy. Uh, and in this, asking this question, to some degree, we want to uh, 
offer or lift up some things that anybody can tune into uh, to access some joy, some specific joy. So, of course, I tipped it off. What song is getting you through right now, Malachi? Ooh, what song? Um, the what is it? The Free Nationals. I am obsessed with looking at my Spotify right now. Yeah, the Free Nationals. I'm like anything off of this album from 2019, Beauty and Essex. Oh, um, but basically, this this whole album is my newest obsession. Mm-hmm. It's like soulful. It's groovy. It's just awesome. <laughs> Every week I find this question because we three answer it. It's such a challenge. And then I just have to come clean. So mm-hmm. I've been listening to way more podcasts than I have to music lately. And mm-hmm. so the podcasts, there are two. I'll save one for next week. The podcast that yeah. is getting me through is called Sibling Rivalry, and it is with Bob the Drag Queen and Monet Exchange. And I love listening to these two Black, queer, just marvelous human beings tell the Blackest stories. They're funny. They're friends. And, um, and Apropos of this conversation, they've fought on the air. <laughs> they've struggled with the things that they struggle with on the air. One is real, one is comes from a Christian sort of, you know, what is it, uh, Jamaican background. The other is like grew up Christian and is like, I have nothing to do with that anymore. So it's sort of it's sort of like <laughs> friends for life if we were drag queens. <laughs> <laughs> What's the it's name of it? Sibling rivalry. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. All right. My offering is I love this question too because I think I start by thinking, I don't know, I don't know. And then I go to my Spotify, I think, oh, and then the song has actually been talking right into this conversation. So I guess two nights ago, a friend has been staying with us and we were celebrating the fact that she's going down to spend time with family in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so we were playing some music and this song came up and we just went silent huh. because it was saying everything. And it's a song by Alison Russell, uh, who's this black Canadian uh, singer and the song is called Joyful Motherfuckers. It's such a beautiful song. Uh, and the deal with this album is that it's her response to childhood yeah. abuse wow. in her family. Yeah. Wow. And uh, this song is this just outcry from that space. Where in the world are the joyful mm. motherfuckers? Yeah. And, but it's a, it's, and then she describes the necessity. Wow of that moment on the roof with Stan, like you can't be there by yourself. Mm-hmm. We need each other to survive. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's also just beautiful music. It's music that just makes you sway. And also, you know, mm-hmm. thank God, beautiful. thank God for mm-hmm. the music. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank y'all for having me. The, I'm gonna take with me today this concept of heaven on earth and to me, that is friends and is laughter and love and brevity and 
even in our suffering, being able to like smile and eat something delicious mm -hmm. and um, still feel is a victory and is a win. And you, you all have really brought that um, into my life today. So I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you so much, Malachi. Hmm. Yeah. Malachi, you said, I mean, you said that Malkia's laughter is the sound of heaven. Yeah. That's, that's how we mm -hmm. feel about you. Oh. That's how we talk about you. Yes, about yes, yes, yes. Oh, more, more soon. soon. Oh my God, I can't wait till I can hug you in the flesh. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next month as we continue to explore the ways in which friendship helps us to create a world of love and justice. We want to send you out with the words of Winnie the Pooh. If ever there is tomorrow when we're not together, there's something you must always remember. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. But the most important thing is, even if we're apart, I'll always be with you. I'll always be with you. We'll always, always. be with you. <laughs> We'll always be together. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs>